Okay, so Acts chapter 3, we're going to encounter in today's reading two guarantees for your Christian life. Now, many of us have different giftings, different abilities, different stories, different pathway, different style, but there are two things, if you are really following Jesus, that will definitely happen for you and to you. We're going to discover what those are as we start reading in chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. So you think, wow, there's, this is kind of a normal situation that would happen. But what wasn't normal was Peter and John making eye contact with this beggar. Right? So I, I don't know how you react when you see people in the modern day who are beggars. But um, I, I understand people's lives can be hard and you don't know what landed that person there. And so sometimes when I'm, you know, on my own mission um, and, you know, regrettably like not thinking of others very well, what I feel like my natural instinct is to do is if I see someone in need that I kind of suspect wants something from me, I try to not look at them. Anybody else with me on that? Just try to like drive on by or walk on by without, because I figure if, if I make eye contact, then I'm really going to be feeling guilty and convicted. So if I can just keep eyes front and walk right past, I might not have to engage with this issue. So here, that probably has been true throughout all of human history, which was why it was a little surprising Here's a guy that's been begging at this gate every day for his whole life. He's, everyone knows him. Everybody who would have been a regular at the temple, they knew him. Peter was going for the three o'clock prayer service, so he had a mission. He had work to do, right? And in that moment, something different happened. He looked at the guy and he said, hey, look at us. So, of course, that guy's pretty excited. He says, hey, they're, they're going to give me some money. Verse 5, the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. This is a pretty bold statement, right? Just right out of the chute here. It's, he didn't say, hey, I think I want to invite you to church with me. You want to come into this prayer service and we'll pray over you. Nope, he just called it out right there. I can't give you money, but I can give you something a lot better. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar who they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So it's one thing if you see a miracle happen, or if you hear of a miracle happening in someone else's life and you didn't know them before, you might say, well, I'm happy for them, but I may be a little bit skeptical of the details. There was no ability to be skeptical here because everyone there saw this guy, knew him for 40 years he'd been laying there, and now he's walking and jumping and praising God. So a really obvious, undeniable miracle of God's power through Peter and John here. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? 
Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? You have to think, remember, as we've mentioned last week, a few weeks ago, Peter was scared and denying Jesus and trying to hide. And he's been transformed into this really bold and forceful witness. So look at what he says to this crowd. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over to be rejected by, before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before birth. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send again Jesus to you, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. And Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. And remember, the crowd Peter's talking to, these are primarily faithful Jews, they know the law really well, they're very into Moses, and so they're getting the message, like they're realizing, as Peter's setting this up, this isn't new. In fact, they missed the the ultimate news that their whole culture had been teed up to wait for. They completely missed their opportunity to meet the Messiah, and Peter's calling them out. Verse 24, starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what's happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you're included in the covenant God promised your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. Right? Go all the way back to Genesis 12, and you've got the, the seed of the gospel there, that there's good news coming to the whole world, and somehow in God's plan, it's going to come through the line of Abraham. So now Peter's saying, it's here. This is it. Jesus has come to bless you. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways, which as an aside, I think is a really interesting way to think about what God's blessing in your life might look like, right? What do you naturally think of if I say, wow, that guy's really blessed? You think he's driving a Mercedes and he has a nice house and his bank account's well padded, or maybe his family's doing really well. Like, we tend to associate blessing with material blessing, right? But material blessing is just a little tiny piece of what happens to some people, not guaranteed to everyone. The blessing that comes to everyone is the opportunity to have a relationship with God and the opportunity to walk out of sin. You think Jesus is willing to bless people by turning them away from sin, It's interesting because usually when we commit a sin, when we fall to temptation, we think we're getting what we want. Like we think we're kind of blessing ourselves by making our own decision or having the thing that, you know, our pride, our lust, our greed, having that satisfied somehow. 
But the ultimate blessing of God in your life is that he will help you turn your life into a direction that actually makes sense. In staff meeting earlier this week, our, our church leadership team, we were talking a little bit about the kind of the pointlessness of what the world offers people. You know, the world, there's all these temptations that are like shiny objects that are going by the conveyor belt of our lives, and we're looking at all these things and they tempt us, right? So there's the temptation to reach out for pride or the temptation to reach out for greed. There, there's all sorts of, we were, we were talking about some of the silly temptations that don't even make logical sense. They're literally just a waste of life. Uh, we'd heard that in the, in the bathrooms of the high school, they're like having trouble with how do we keep kids from vaping, okay? You go, wow, the fact that people who could be living like abundant, joyful, purposeful lives are literally sneaking into bathroom stalls to vape. That tells you how far, like how low Satan will trick a person to go. That that's what you're living for. That that's what your life's aim is all about. Can I get away with it? Uh, or the fact that the, the world is tempting us just literally to waste our time. Jesus will bless you by turning you from that life to one that makes sense. So the, the invitation's out, Peter offers it, but notice the root of the blessing is not just in the promise, it's that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that was like the offer of this blessing to the whole world. Well, you mention that, you're going to trigger some people. So here in the crowd, you've got Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. You have Pharisees who thought they had already dealt with the Jesus problem and that he was supposed to be dead and gone. And then you've got the captain of the temple guard who's supposed to be keeping order in a, in a scenario where there's a lot of people, and now they're crowding around and now there's all this controversy. So all of those people kind of activate when the resurrection is mentioned, and we go to verse 1 of chapter 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled, get this, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So you do the math. How many people might be now in the early church? Say 5,000, like heads of household or something. You could be 15, maybe 20,000 people are now actually following Jesus. A few verses ago, remember it was 3,000, and a few verses before that it was 120, and a few verses before that it was almost no one at the cross. So the, the church is ballooning, like the Holy Spirit is coming, and people are trusting in Christ in droves as they realize all the truth of the prophets, all the everything that had been promised, it was all coming true, Jesus in fact is the Messiah. And when I look at that whole narrative, I notice something that Peter had two specific instances of, and he seized both of them. And this is one of the guarantees in your Christian life. If you follow Jesus, you are guaranteed opportunity. In fact, every moment of your life from the day that you put your faith in Jesus is an opportunity. Because now it's not just you. Now God is with you. The Holy Spirit is operating in you. And so if it's just you, you keep eyes front, you walk right by the beggar, you go to the prayer service. But if the Holy Spirit's in you and he prompts you to stop and pay attention to somebody, you do it and you never know what God will accomplish, right? And then you look at verse 12. 
as the crowd started together, like none of this was in their plan, right? There wasn't like the annual meeting for the early church and they said, hey, let's send people through the gate specifically to find people. There was no plan. They reacted to what the Holy Spirit said, that, said to do. And now this crowd's gathering and what does it say Peter did? Peter saw his opportunity. And so he stands up again. Like he, remember, he just preached the chapter before, stands up again and now he's, now he's saying to the people, look, this is the truth. This is the Messiah. You killed him, but now there's a path forward. You can repent. You can have times of refreshing from God. The blessing of being turned from your sin, that can come to your life as well. Jesus is alive and you all know it. The first thing that we're guaranteed in our Christian life, I believe, is opportunity. So no one can say, and I would love to serve God, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I suppose you could say you don't know what you're supposed to do, but you can't say there's not opportunity. You say, Lord, in faith, I'm going to start walking forward, trusting you to put the opportunities in front of me that I should take advantage of. So one experience I had that was kind of surprising to me, because honestly, I, wasn't, I didn't see it coming at all, was I was in South Asia in a very remote, uh, kind of impoverished village, and there was a woman there um, who was just kind of sitting on a stone, sort of staring off into space. And you could tell she was one of the Dalits, which would be like the untouchables, the, the cast of people in that culture that essentially no one is supposed to interface with. Um, and it's a sad story. If you read about the caste system, you'll understand a little bit more about that. But essentially, no one pays attention to these people at all. And so our group was walking past this woman. That's not a direct picture of her. That's just a representation. But... Um, and for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit in me said that I should look at her. Okay, I mean, I'm never going to see her again. Sure, I'll look at her. And um, in Indian culture, there's a greeting called namaste. You've probably seen it when people do this. Now, there's a religious connotation to that, right? It's a Hindu greeting that has to do with, like, the divine, by their belief, the divine that's in you is bowing to the divine that's in the other person, but people use it as just kind of a common, almost like you'd shake hands, that you might see Indians doing that, okay? So when I went, I, I had a little bit of an internal question in my mind, like, should I, should I do that? Like, knowing it's a Hindu ritual, not a Christian ritual. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought that the spirit of namaste um, is respect to the other person, and the Holy Spirit in me can respect that person and their potential for God to be a part of their life. So I just thought, you know what? I'll just, I'm going to do namaste, but I'm going to mean it as a Christian instead of as a Hindu. So I turned to this woman, kind of just said, I said the word namaste, because it was the only word I knew to say in the language she was in. I said namaste, and I, and I did this, I just smiled at her. She broke out into a huge smile, and then she followed our group um, down the roadway and into this little church, and we were having a meeting to dedicate something, and uh, she sat in the back. She heard multiple preachers. In fact, I was one of the people that got up to speak through a translator. And um, I don't know, an hour and a half church service went by. Um, she, she met with the pastor of that church right after the service and gave her heart to Christ. I thought, whoa. That, like, I didn't have anything to, like, literally, it was just in that brief second where there's a person out of the corner of your eye. Normally, I would be eyes front, ignore the people that are, you know, potentially going to take your time or something. But in that moment, there's just a brief opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond, and God did something amazing in that person's life. And I would contend that you and I have opportunities like that all around us every day. And so we don't read Acts 3 and go, wow, that was really neat that that happened. 
we read Acts 3 and go, Lord, when is that going to happen in my life? How do you want me to pay attention to my surroundings to be ready for whatever you would call me to do? Uh, when I was a kid, I mentioned this story before of how my dad was miraculously saved out of all sorts of drugs and problems and, you know, our family was in disarray and everything changed literally in one decision from my dad to turn to Christ. And he was a printer and so one of the things he wanted to start doing was using his printing industry as a way of sharing about Jesus. So we had a missionary who showed up at the church that we went to that was from Russia, and it was right after the Soviet Union had broken up, and so there was all sorts of like newfound freedom in that area of the world. Christian agencies were trying to get materials there and Bibles, and this missionary said, you know, we have access to plenty of Christian materials, but we don't have a whole lot for kids. So I remember when, our, in our, as a family, we were talking about that, and my dad said, well, maybe maybe we can help, like maybe we can print something. And so, so we found an artist, and we found someone who spoke Russian, and, um, and our family team kind of got together and created this little Russian coloring book um, that was really simplistic, and it had grammatical errors and all that. It was the best we could do. And literally thousands of these ended up over there in Russia somewhere. Um, and, and I look at that and go, okay, that it's kind of random, like I wouldn't have woken up that day thinking we're going to go reach Russia, you know, but the Holy Spirit provided an opportunity, a connection, and then here in my dad's employment, there was already a path forward to help. So this is where you never know, like everything is an opportunity. When you walk in your school, when you go to work, when you walk down your street, all of it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in and through you, who you are and what you're doing, to see His gospel go out. So the first guarantee that we can make if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, is you'll have opportunity. Okay, but what's the other side of it? That's where we keep reading. So look to verse 5 of chapter 4. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. It's kind of the first century version of what's happening in London, right? All the dignitaries are showing up to pay homage, I guess, to the king. Um, so here they're all streaming in because they've got to deal with this problem. Um, there's, there's trouble. And when they thought that killing Jesus would end the trouble, apparently it didn't. So it's time to recalculate. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? So you think that's like, you know, when in anger you ask a question and you're like, I shouldn't have asked that question. I'm sure they were feeling that, okay, because they knew why this was happening and in whose name this was done, and Peter let them know. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice that, said to them, rulers and teachers of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. In fact, if you think back to Peter and John's upbringing, what was their training in? 
fishing, right? They were, they were fishermen. They were not like academics. They weren't elites. And here they are standing up to the leaders of their culture, calling them out and clearly directing them to the Scripture. It says they also recognized them as men who'd been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed was standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign. Everyone in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, you go, hold on a second. Why could they not have said, maybe we should get on board? Like, obviously, there's power here. But no, their, their agenda is so fixed, their eyes are so blind, their pride is so strong that they're immediately trying to do damage control against something that they're not going to be able to control. It says, we should warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak again or teach in the name of Jesus. And how much chance did that strategy have of working? Zero, right? Um, Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling um, about everything that we've seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign and the healing of the man who'd been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, safety. Wait, if you're reading along, that's not what they were asking for. Isn't that interesting? Keep us safe from harm. No, they didn't say that. They said, give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the thing we were just told not to do, heal people and then preach, guess what? Lord, would you give us power to do that on a grand scale? We want to go all in on healing people and then preaching about Jesus. So after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. So here's the second guarantee. Number one, opportunity. Guarantee number two, opposition. There's no question, if you start moving forward toward God, people are going to push back against you. Jesus told us this. Peter told us this. Throughout the whole New Testament narrative, there was pushback, and there's still pushback right now. Right? When you step forward for Christ, there will be people who oppose you. They're not, it's not really personal. They're not opposing you. Jesus said, don't be surprised. If they oppose you, they're actually opposing me. And when they oppose me, they're actually opposing the Father. These are people aligned against God. And they're everywhere. So note, not everybody will oppose you, but the general world out there is going to oppose you. Embrace it. Get used to it. Okay? If the, if the Spirit-filled 
uh, Jesus' followers have always found opportunity and opposition. Should we, in century 21, expect anything different? What do you think? In fact, I was thinking of how, like, what this text actually teaches us. It's that opportunity leads to more opposition, and opposition leads to more opportunity. So the harder people fight against the truth, the more opportunity there is to share the truth. And so we understand, Lord, we're not in this world to be comfortable, for everything to be fine. We're, we're in this world to be your light. And so, of course, there'll be challenges. Of course, there'll be difficulty. As many of you know, I'm plugged into some networks that do ministry out in South Asia. And this week, I'm on a signal feed, which is kind of a secure messaging app for people that are in closed countries that want to communicate out. And it lit up with, uh, a couple days ago, there was a, a big riot in Manipur, India, and 35 churches were burned, multiple people were killed. And uh, one of my friends has friends who are there, and they were saying, yeah, some of the churches that are attached to what we're doing, they were burned down. Um, and there were some people that were left orphans that now have showed up at the children's home. And, and this is all just happening like this week. Say, so we look at that, and um, for us as Americans, with like security and freedom in our core somehow, we're surprised, right? Aren't you kind of surprised? Like you look at that and say, man, that shouldn't happen in the modern world. Like how, it just is so different than our experience. But over the course, like we're a part of a small segment of global population throughout history that has had freedom and safety kind of generally. Most people in most places who follow Jesus face oppression all the time. It's not a surprise that this would happen the world does hate the truth. That's why Jesus had to come, and that's why people oppose Jesus and why they often still do. And so as a Christian, in a scenario like that, you, you look forward and you say, okay, how do I react to that oppression the way Jesus would react? I want to take the opportunities as they come, but I also want to be prepared for the way that people will oppose what we're, what we're all about, what we're doing. But then I would make this observation. Dead churches don't encounter much resistance, do they? You can find churches that, are, that look good on the outside, that might have some fun things going on inside, but if there's no opposition, I'm not talking about churches that are you know, angry or disrespectful or hot-tempered or something. They deserve to be disrespected in that way, and we wouldn't respect them either. But I'm talking about the ones that are spiritually dead, then there's nothing there. The Holy Spirit isn't at work. If you run into that, you say, well, they're not a threat to the world around them. They're not stirring anything up. Nobody's getting healed at the gate. Nobody's preaching the gospel. So yeah, there's not, there's not any opposition. But when you, when you start moving forward toward Christ and you start living by the power of the Holy Spirit, things are going to start to happen. And individually, the dead push goers, or the, the dead, the push goers, I don't know what that is. It's not like drugs or something, but the dead church goers they don't get any pushback either, right? And so you might even do a little inventory and say, if I've been living a comfortable, easy, smooth Christian life where the only trouble I ever have is like what I personally create for myself, that might mean I'm actually missing the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because if we're bold for Christ, we're going to see great things, we're also going to see difficult things, and it's going to all happen in kind of a messy uh, concurrent way, just like it did in the book of Acts. So, two questions all of us can ask. One is, what will I do with the opportunities all around me? 
you'll have opportunities to respond to the Holy Spirit, maybe even before you leave this building. You'll certainly have them in the course of your week. What will you do when opposition comes that you're expecting? It actually helps a lot to expect it ahead of time and think ahead of time of what you'll do. It's just like temptation. You know, if you wait till you're tempted and then try to defeat it, you usually fail. If you wait until you're opposed and then say, oh, well, what do I do now? Yeah, you, you might mess up in that moment. But if you say ahead of time, I know they oppose Jesus. When that happens to me, I'm planning to respond in faith and love. If you say that ahead of time to yourself and say, Lord, would you just empower me when that moment comes? Faith and love, how I want to respond to opposition. Uh, God will give you the grace for that. Both of these things require faith in the Holy Spirit. So you're walking through life going, I'm not an independent agent here. I'm not just trying to do my own thing. God is with me. And because he's with me, because the Holy Spirit is in me, I have confidence that I can take advantage of an opportunity, even if it's not like my character to do that or what I would normally do or what everybody else would normally do. No, I'll, I'll step outside of my comfort zone and respond to God because he's actually the one who's going to direct me. And when persecution comes, Holy Spirit, I'll trust you for that as well. So I'd like us to say about opportunity and opposition for a moment. And then I want to introduce you to a few people who in a very practical and personal way, are going to help all of us um, as parts of this church be able to walk forward knowing we're not alone, knowing the church family's with us. All right, so let's pray, and then I'm going to call a few friends up, and uh, we'll close out by introducing them. Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Thank you that you have not left us alone, that you have given us the Spirit to empower us for every step I just pray that you'd fill all of us with boldness. Lord, just like you gave the early church boldness, the place was shaken, the gospel went out, I pray that that would happen here and that you would do in our generation what is so desperately needed that you would use us to bring a light to this community and even to places around the world that you'd call us to go. Lord, we look forward to seeing where our lives will go as we're blessed by you, turned away from sin, and heading into purpose. Uh, Lord, give us the grace we're going to need and help us to be aware of your presence in every detail, every aspect of our lives. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.